Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's going to carry on bringing you the most important stories in the property world. And today we're going to look beyond the current crisis and explore why London's Eastern Corridor should be the answer to the capital's affordability problem. Most of the kit I'm dealing with, if you like, east of, certainly east of Newham, is in the price range £450 a square foot to £550 a square foot in terms of the end product. And that is some of the most affordable, really, in London. But if the opportunity is there, why hasn't it been taken up already? We've seen massive growth in the London borough of Hackney, growth in Tower Hamlets. Those are the closest London boroughs to sort of central London. And as they become unaffordable, everything then sort of ripples out and we're just beginning to get those ripples. I'm Guy Ruddle and with me on the line are three people with a deep and, dare I say it, personal understanding of the East London scene. Katie Warwick is Head of London Residential Development Research at Savills. She works on everything from the prime location stuff right through to regeneration schemes of much lower value and working out exactly how to get the most out of them. Katie, hello. Welcome to you. Hello. Thank you. Delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you. Anne Currell is Director of London Residential Development Sales and Shared Ownership. Uh, She used to run her own agency in East London called Currells with five or six branches until it was acquired by Savills a couple of years ago. And you did that for about 20 years, Anne, didn't you? I did indeed, yes. And I've lived in East London for over 30 years and I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's it's fantastic to have have someone who, who has East London running through their veins. And Ed de Jong is a director in the London Residential Development Department at Savills. He focuses on the buying and selling of development opportunities in East London. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Guy. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's get going. Um, Katie, maybe I could ask you, first of all, when we talk about the Eastern Corridor or London's Eastern Corridor, what do we actually mean? Well, I think it's really about those boroughs, dare I say it, in the east of London. (laughs) But what we're thinking about is really from Stratford going outwards um, to Havering. It's particularly relevant now because of Crossrail, of course. So when Crossrail becomes fully functioning, we are going to see that connectivity um, really start to, to pick up and open up new parts of this market. So, yeah, so Tower Hamlets and Newham towards the centre of London, Hackney, and then Waltham Forest, Redbridge, Barking and Dagham, and all the way out as far as Havering then. That's, that's quite a big area, isn't it? Absolutely. But they, they, so between those boroughs, they differ hugely, um, in particular in terms of the activity um, that we're currently seeing and the activity to date. So we've seen a lot of, um, a lot of development happening in Tower Hamlets and Newham, and particularly you know, focused around and kick-started by the, the Olympics. Um, but actually in areas like Redbridge and Havering, we see very little uh, development activity. And, and why is that? I mean, this is, this is your patch, your manor. Why is it that that all the activity so far, or most of it, has been in those two bits close to the Olympic site, as as uh, as Katie was saying? Well, I think other other um, London boroughs, East London boroughs, have have felt a little bit it, it, it's felt a little bit unfashionable, um, and I think the um, particularly around Stratford, obviously that had the um, that had the signature of the Olympics and improved transport infrastructure. And just going back to what Katie said, 
I think that's where Crossrail really comes in. And what we've tried to do is to look at a corridor that follows sort of main arterial routes, such as the main one of which is Crossrail. But obviously there's improvement to the C2C line and you've got the tube and the main arterial road. So I think it's just been a little bit of a, it's been a bit of a poor relation, but East London has as a whole has always been a poor relation to West London. And that goes back a long way. But it is an area where, as I sort of we were hinting earlier, where it, stuff is more affordable. I mean, if there's, if there's one problem for residential property in London is it's too expensive for most people. And yet here's this whole area where it's a lot cheaper. I, I don't quite understand why it hasn't developed more sooner. Because everything happens on a bit of a ripple effect. And we've seen massive growth in the London Borough of Hackney, growth in Tower Hamlets. Those are the closest London boroughs to sort of central London. And as they become unaffordable, everything then sort of ripples out. And we're just beginning to get those ripples. Yes, I'd absolutely agree with what Anne's just said. And also development viability. It only becomes viable to develop areas in Barking and Dagenham when that ripple washes over it and you get an increase, say, over logistical or existing use value so that you have to wait for that wave to to bring in that viability. You've got to have connectivity. You get connectivity, but you've then also got to have a critical mass of other elements of public realm and placemaking that then make an area attractive to live in. Ed, you know, it, it's interesting. Both Anne and Katie uh, have, have focused on Crossrail and, and Anne, again, they're talking about other transport things. Crossrail is just the, the absolute key to all of this, isn't it? Well, uh, there are also some very good overland uh, rail links coming in from East London. There's no doubt Crossrail's a game changer. But there are huge projects beginning to take place now out east. I mean, it started all with Canary Wharf and then... We've seen submarkets develop. Hackney Wicks, another fascinating news story. You know, could that be a new Shoreditch that's on the edge of the Olympic Park? So you've got that. Then you've got all the Royal Docks that are coming on stream. If we look at the London Borough of Barking and Dagenham, and if we take Dagenham Dock Station, that's only 22 minutes into Fenchurch Street. Romford Town Centre, it's a huge untapped acreage there to come forward again it's on a crossrail transport node very quick back into london and all this is taking time to come through the planning system but it is really going to going to provide much of the land that is needed to solve this current housing crisis and very much at the affordable end and i think that's that's the that's the interesting thing here most of the kit i'm dealing with if you like east of certainly east of newham is in the price range £450 a square foot to £550 a square foot in terms of the end product. And that is some of the most affordable, really, in London. Katie, it's interesting. You know, when you, when you listen to Ed, uh, it sounds like that, you know, there's an enormous amount of activity going on at the moment. And yet you've still got boroughs which are building, you know, a, a, a tiny proportion of what they were supposed to be building in terms of the London the 2019 London plan Havering and Barking and Dagenham are, are, are two of the worst boroughs in London in terms of keeping up with the plan so so why hasn't it happened so far to the to a full extent 
Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, Barking and Dagenham and Havering have seen very, very low, and Red Ridge have all seen very, very low levels historically. Um, it's perhaps slightly unfair to judge them on the um, the new targets because obviously the new targets aren't yet sort of adopted. But if we use that as an indicator, you know, they've still got um, far to go. But one of the things that we have looked at as part of the research paper is, um, as part of this analysis, we've looked at the pipeline and we've taken a view on how much, um, how many homes are likely to come through over the next five years um, now of course there might be some slippages especially with you know this this strange situation that we find ourselves in uh, you know working from home um, you know, clearly the impact on construction and infrastructure projects you know may, we, we are likely to see delays and we're already seeing delays in, in terms of the sales launches but over the five-year period which is what the um the research looks at we are likely to see in particular barking and dagenham significantly increase uh, their pipeline you know we know that they we've identified the sites we know that there's some big chunky sites there the borough in particular with their aspiration to deliver um not not least through their own delivery vehicles but also in terms of being very very supportive for developers a very pro development borough um yeah we are likely to see uh this part this part of london deliver quite a significant pipeline over the next few years and of course, one of the other um, factors that is really important when thinking about how many homes can these boroughs deliver, in, in particular in the case of Havering, a lot of that borough is uh, more than half the borough, in fact, it lies within the Greenbelt. So there's a big restricting factor there on how much um, can be delivered. I think what's been slightly ignored so far is there's still a huge amount of brownfield that we can do. So brownfield are sites that are in existing use, perhaps for industrial or offices, and they can be repurposed. But it also comes down to viability and what sites are viable to bring on stream and the process of toolkits and looking at viability. And actually developers do face a huge challenge there and the planning system hasn't caught up with viability. Do you get a sense of what's the most likely type of accommodation that's, that's gonna be needed and valued and wanted in this East London corridor, and by who? Are we talking about young, trendy people with beards and, and, and sandals, or, or maybe not sandals, or are we talking more, uh, you know, young families, or, or, or what do you think? Um, well, what's in, what, what is interesting is that um, about 80% of movers into East London are already from within London, although we do see some demand just outside the M25. And, and yes, they are, they are, a lot of them are young, under the age of 40 is how we would describe young. And they're successful um, in their respective um, jobs and they're coming out of rented accommodation. So uh, a lot of first time buyers. But I do also think that there is a market um, for young family accommodation and young family accommodation would be small three bedroomed houses. And we had quite an interesting discussion as to how you can, how do you build enough small houses for families when actually um, you need to Im improve your, your density? And I think the answer is to provide flexible accommodation and to provide a, a mix of different units. Um, but the buyers are majority, majority of buyers are coming out of rented accommodation. They're young and they're already living in London. And uh, maybe one for, for any of you, really, but I think Anne touched on it earlier, this, 
this concept of placemaking, which I haven't quite banned from Real Estate Insights, but uh, it's used so often that I want to come up with a different term. Creating a community, perhaps, is what we mean. Uh, how vital, when with with all these developments, is going to is that going to be to to create a community, not just somewhere where people live and then tra- travel to socialise and work, etc. Et, um, it's abs- it, 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 it's absolutely critical, and it and it just will underpin the success of any large area of regeneration or or development. Um, and it will all it all starts with the transport hub. It starts with the transport hub, and it starts with the sort of commercial infrastructure. And I think it's particularly important, especially when we're thinking about you know, let's take the example of Barking Riverside, huge swathes of of riverside land that was you know that there's very little else there so you're going to be putting a huge number of homes but it also has a new train station opening but crucially it's got schools and commercial space and cultural space as well because it hasn't got an existing town centre you know obviously the nearest town centre would be Barking Town Centre but this is a significant new community and it needs to have something for those residents. Yeah I think you you need to be creating um, a sense of place um, hence we call it place making but also you know it's very easy to talk about flats and houses but actually these are homes and they really only become homes if if people sense that they belong and that's where the wider sort of place making um, is so important. Let me th- uh, chuck in an, a, a, a little st- uh, spanner into the works or stone into this pond or, or whatever i'm not sure which uh help to buy you know fading away steadily and eventually disappearing is that a problem or is it if we're talking about a more affordable part of london is it maybe an opportunity uh, well that's really interesting because you know a high percentage of sales out in east london do fall under help to buy. So 43% of the sales in Havering were helped to buy in Waltham Forest. It was 26%. In the London Borough Barking Dagenham, it was 31%. So you could argue, yes, there is a threat to this market if, if help to buy isn't there. But I do I do also think there are alternative tenures to look at, like shared ownership. Obviously, the government has got a paper running at the moment with a proposal on first homes. But equally, going back to the very, very first thing you said when you opened the podcast, is it's all about affordability. So on an average salary in London of 36,000, two people, that's 72,000, together with a 10% deposit, which is not beyond the realms of possibility, they could afford to buy something at £350,000. And just to take that back, a 750 square foot flat at £450 a square foot is £324,000. So without shared ownership, sorry, without help to buy, these some of these East London boroughs are still affordable. But I, but I agree, I think there is, a, there is a bit of a threat to the market without help to buy. And Katie, a sort of last thought before we get to the Savile standout statistic uh, from you. Um, we sort of mentioned it, obviously, already, but the, the current situation, I mean, we're talking about very long-term projects here, aren't we? Sort of five, ten-year year projects. But how much of a delay, do you think, will the current situation cause? I think it's 
going it's incredibly hard for us to say right now because i guess because we're in the middle of it and we don't know how long the lockdown is going to to last um i know that um i, I listened to a glenigan podcast last night and, and they said that 60 percent of residential sites have now halted in terms of their activity on site um, and that surprised me i thought it would have been more actually and of course, for, for new home sales in this in this these tricky times, there is still a market out there that there are still deals being done because we're just having to operate more flexibly. I know our, our sales team have been busy, you know, doing virtual viewings and have managed to do deals, you know, miraculously off the back of that. So it's not a dead market. It's just about finding new ways, um, new ways to reach those buyers and to push those transactions through. I just add to that that um, we, we've got a sort of almost a two tier market in the land market. This current situation is very challenging for sites with a planning consent because developers are faced with trying to build out in this impossible situation that we face. But for sites without planning permission, they're going to take years in the planning, the planning system. Um, these we are trading and expect to trade throughout this uh, lockdown period because people are planning for hopefully when the situation will be back to normal. Just because we're doing Real Estate Insights in a slightly more convoluted way with people on phone lines and the like, doesn't mean that we don't do the Savile standout statistic. Why don't we start with the, 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 the research team? Uh, because you're all about statistics, Katie. So why don't you go first? I've got loads of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, so I would say, and the one thing that we haven't spoken about so far is our analysis on supply and demand in London by price points. 70% of demand in London is for less than £450 a square foot or submarket compared to 30% of supply. So clearly there is a huge imbalance in terms of what we are delivering against what, um, what, what people can afford. There you are, guys. That's how to do a Savile standout statistic. Uh, Ed, why don't you go next? What's your Savile standout stat? Well, I like this one. Um, between 2009 and 2019, the value of goods and services provided by the Scientific and Tech Centre increased by 72% in East London, whilst population growth was only 19%. So that you know, highlights the, the huge demand imbalance, if you like, between a, a growing economy in East and the shortage of development land for all uses. Yeah, that is that's pretty amazing. And uh, the, as as I say, this is your manner, your part of the world. It it runs through your veins. What's your Savile standout statistic for East London, the East London corridor? So I've got going to weave two or three things together. If I was travelling from a main employment hub, fifteen minutes west, I would get myself to South Kensington. If I was travelling 15 minutes east, I would go to Stratford. And on a like-for-like basis, in South Kensington, I would pay £1.8 million for a property. And in Stratford, I'd pay £562,000. Four of the seven cheapest London boroughs are east, and 14 of the new Crossrail stations will be east. So there is a huge opportunity there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that really, that's why we do the Savile Standard Statistic, to, to sort of put it all in perspective like that. Uh, thank you all very, very much indeed uh, for, your, for your wisdom. It's been really great to, to talk to you about this. That's it 
for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If all that's done is whet your appetite for knowledge and information, then there's more detail in the London Development Eastern Corridor Report, which you can find on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. For all of that, if you aren't a subscriber, then please feel free to become one using your usual podcast provider. I know the quality of the phone lines or Skypes or whatever that we've been using haven't been perfect all the way through, but I think we pretty much understood what everyone was saying. Thank you for putting up with that. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.